0: podcast with super fans rose and sam and malika
1: too she's undecided if she even likes it but we watched our game and talk about it because it's fun we probe the
0: wormholes yes we do because we have nothing better to do so listen here's our show hello and welcome to probing the wormhole a stargate discussion podcast i am your host sam a super fan and i am joined with
1: rose also a super fan
2: malika a fan of the series not of this episode or child abuse okay Today we'll be we, we will be
0: discussing episode eight of season two, family. So Teal'c finally gets to do some stuff, and he gets to feel some feelings. We get a lot of uh, different emotions out of Teal'c in this episode. It's a bit of a roller coaster. It's jealousy, lust, parental concern, and then at the end, some sort of happiness. So we start off in the gate room. Someone is coming through the gate with an SG-1 code. Problem is, SG-1 is already there. They guess it's Braytac, and it's him. Hammond of Texas welcomes him. Braytac barely greets O'Neal, but gives a nice big greeting to Teal'c. But there's trouble. Teal'c's wife, Dreyak, is fine, but Apophis has kidnapped Teal'c's son, Ryak.
1: Didn't we discuss this at one point? Like, why wouldn't Apophis, like, use Teal'c's family against him? But they still think Apophis is dead. I mean, they don't understand the sci-fi rule that if you do not see a lifeless body, they are not dead. <laughs> that is also a horror r- rule. Yeah. Sh- should they be surprised
0: that Apophis is still alive? I don't think so. Yeah. And then in the briefing room, they discussed how Apophis possibly could have survived. I think someone mentioned that he probably used the ring device, which is what actually happened. But they didn't mention Skara because Skara was with him during the season finale. So I'm 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 surprised that they weren't concerned about what happened to Skara.
1: Yeah, that's true. If Apophis survived, it's likely both of them did. So Teal'c thinks that Apophis wants him,
0: Teal'c, and is using his son to get to him. Hammond thinks this is a trap, which it definitely is. And O'Neill agrees, but thinks that they can avoid it if they know it's a trap. Uh, what do you guys think about that <laughs> logic?
1: I mean, I think for O'Neill, it's just like, he, this is my friend. His son is missing. We're going after the son. Right. Trap or not. This is not something we could just let lie. And I actually found Hammond to be very, like, compassionless in this moment. When you're dealing with someone's child, it, I don't know that that's the moment to remind Teal, make this be the last time that your family compromises us. I, I did not like that moment at all.
0: Yeah, I I did not either. Because Carter has family, too. I mean, is Hammond going to give the same lecture to Carter if one of her family members is kidnapped?
2: I I agree with Rose and you, Sam, that uh, Hammond of Texas was being kind of an ass, but I think he was being an extra evil ass because he brought up that Tilk had kept some things private, withheld certain information, especially about his family. And that was one of the reasons why uh, Hammond didn't want the team to go over there, which I thought was kind of a bitch move to throw that in. But Tilk did lie. I mean, he told everyone
0: that he didn't have any family. Therefore, he had no vulnerabilities.
2: Is that the reason why you shouldn't, just because somebody didn't tell you about your their family, is that the reason why you shouldn't help them rescue their family?
1: And it's- I kind of understand why. I mean, like, at the time, he didn't know them. I mean, he sort of took a chance on them. Effectively, he was their prisoner until... They trusted him enough to let him join the team. He still can't leave the base, right? I mean, I can see why he would be like, hey, I'm not going to give them give up this huge deal that's A, going to make them not trust me or throw me back to the Goulds, I don't know, or possibly even go after my family to eliminate that. You know, there was a lack of trust all around.
2: Okay. And wouldn't, if he brought it up to Hammond and the rest of the team before he trusted them, then his family would be the vulnerability to the U.S. government?
1: No, but like, who's to say Mayborn wouldn't then be, you know, or some shady character be like, hey, Teal, you're worried about your family? Why don't you come work for us? And we'll take care of them. Or if you don't work for us, maybe we won't take care of them. He's open to manipulation from the United States side, too.
0: Do you think that O'Neill is so gung ho about the mission because it does concern a child? And he's sort of thinking about his own kid? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think it's a consistent theme throughout the show that when children are involved, O'Neill's just very protective, very willing to risk everything to save them. I mean, I think he's just that kind of person, but I think it also has to do with like the surrogate of him not being able to save his son, but he could save these other kids.
2: And Tilk is like his best dude. So Hamid okays
0: the mission. It sounds like... Chulak is in a bit of a chaotic state right now because Apophis has been weakened by what happened in the season finale. So they have a good chance of rescuing the boy. The next scene, we are at Chulak. Uh, the Stargate is dialing up. An object comes through the, the Stargate. It's a stink bomb. About five Jaffa warriors go down. SG-1 appears. They're in white robes. Uh, it's pretty consistent with the trap since there's only about five (laughs) jaffa there at the entrance
1: why are they always so dumb (laughs) like i feel like they make these jaffa like these highly trained precision warriors and they're fucking dumb every time (laughs) what's this
2: let me pick it up (laughs) yeah can i say something about the cloaks when they walked out and they were wearing cloaks i was like okay When we get to wherever we're going, everybody's going to wear cloaks because you're wearing the cloaks to blend in. Nobody we saw was wearing these cloaks. Nowhere. (laughs) Not even in extra hiding, you know, around a corner was wearing these cloaks. They were ridiculous. Moses, burlap, white (laughs) sacks.
1: Burlap again. As opposed to like Dreyak's bomb ass dress. Like she (laughs) always dresses awesome.
2: The blue coat that she wears at the end. I was like, where can I get that? I would never wear it outside. But I wanted that blue like light blue satin bolero. It was awesome. It was perfectly gathered. (laughs) (laughs) Perfectly gathered. (laughs) SG1
0: and Braytek are wandering about the neighborhood of Chulak, which looks pretty looks pretty ritzy, like a ritzy part of town. They walk by a uh, palace with a lot of vines and vases everywhere. Tilk wonders how his wife could have afforded this place. Braytek does not know. So do we believe Braytek that he actually doesn't know uh, Dreyak's situation?
1: Braytek doesn't lie. So I I do believe he doesn't know. I don't know how he wouldn't have known.
2: Well, he knew that the last time, I mean, the last time Tilk came over that she was living in a tent in the, like, the trader area of Jaffa land, and he knew the address of this new ritzy place, you would think that being the warrior um, that he is, that he would be put two and two together, that's something that Dryak has moved forward in her station in life. And how do you do that if you're a woman? You get married.
0: So they enter a very nice house. Dryak... Is it Dreyak or Dryak? Who's Dreyak? Dreyak and Teal'c reunite. So I looked up this new actress. She has done a shitload of stuff besides acting. Acting is nothing compared to what she's done. Her name is Brooke Parker Bellow. She received numerous humanitarian awards for her work in fighting modern day slavery and uh, gender-based violence she received a lifetime achievement award from former president barack obama for her work she holds patents in software and in virtual reality wow she's, so she's awesome and brilliant so what did you guys think of her
1: i liked her It was a little different than the last you know it was a, it was a change for the character but you know drayak is not a, not a character we see all that often so i guess you can get kind of get away with changing the actress
2: she's very sassy I thought she was sassy, which the first Dre act didn't have. She didn't have that kind of edge to her. Really? I thought the opposite.
0: The So the first one was Sally Richardson Whitfield. And I thought she was a bit more fiery than this mm. one. Like this one was more reserved. She had more gravitas about her.
1: Yeah, that could be like because of the change in her station in life sort of had to... You know, like when we first met Dreyak, she's really desperate, right? In this desperate situation, her son is dying. She has no money. She's nothing. And she was really angry. And in this episode, she has a lot to lose. There was no DV element to their relationship in this episode like there was last time. I mean, there's definitely issues, but there was no like physical attacking each other.
2: My bad memory leads me to just remember the first Dreyak as or draytac as Dreak as also angry and desperate i didn't i didn't feel that much nuance in her so this one um this number two she just seemed different i liked her okay some guy shows up <laughs> and protac these
1: names are confusing and
0: i, I sounds like a frog or froya, like a frozen
1: Fre-yap- burger. Fro-tac- I know it says like froya. Frotak, Dreyak, Rayak, Braytac, and Tealk. So all names have to end in a C. I guess so. Or what? You get, you get killed at birth if you don't have a C name.
0: Tealk thanks Frotak for taking care of his wife. Frotak says, uh, this is my home. And <laughs> Dreyak removed their marriage and married <laughs> me. And I don't know if the camera moved into O'Neill's face or we see it in the background, but O'Neill's face, when when Frotak said this, you can tell O'Neill was thinking, oh shit, there's going to be a fight. <laughs> and there is one. Teal'c attacks Frotak. Brayak and... Brayak?
1: Brayak? <laughs> Drea?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yikes, this is going to be a long one. Uh, Brayak and O'Neill hold him back. O'Neill must remind him about his son. And Dryak looks devastated like she knows she hurt Tilk. But uh, what the hell was she supposed to do? She was left in the camps with a minor child. She had to take care of her kid and you need money
1: and resources for that. Yeah, so I'm not sure about Tilk's reaction here. Like first of all, yeah, what is she be- she's supposed to do? Like he's not coming back as Braytech says, you may as well be dead. And I, I just didn't. It didn't feel very true to Teal'c's character. Like I get that there's this possessive, jealousy part of it, and he obviously loves her and all that. But I, I just feel like he would not. Ex- he's not going to expect his wife, who's trying to raise their son alone, to just live in poverty and wait for him. It didn't feel realistic, and and his reaction almost seemed caricaturish, like a caricaturish jealous husband. And and Teal'c is a much more nuanced character than that um and i don't think that was chris judge i think it was the writing i just didn't think it gave him a lot of room to be nuanced at least at this point i think it's a little bit different later on in the episode
2: i mean i chalked up his reaction to being kind of in shock because it wasn't until Freyak said something that he was the new husband that tilk even realized what was going on here so i i can see it as like uh lazy writing but i can also see it as this is shock let me think it out and i think that's what he does in the in the next cut he is brooding right and then then he's he's still angry but he's he's kind of pushed it down so he just needed those
1: couple that minute to minute up punching someone <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah, I think this is lazy writing because it's Catherine Powers and she does not write Tilk very well at all. But then Tilk says something a little later on in the episode. He says, why Frotek? So I'm wondering if there's some kind of backstory between them, like something that we don't know about a- as the viewers, independent of his wife. And if she had picked like Boyak or something or some other guy it would have been fine he'd be like yeah that's great you can take care of my wife i can go save your world or whatever
1: yeah i mean they seem to be like when he before he realizes that they're married he they don't seem to have any issues but you never know he could they could be there could be a whole lot of drama
2: well i mean here's your friend who with your wife declare you dead and then get married i can see why even, i mean he would be pissed if it was a stranger or a strange uh, Jaffa, but he's even more pissed because this was one of his friends. I, I think that he felt betrayed by both of them. Yeah, because we do learn,
0: I think in this scene, that Brotak is actually one of Braytac's engineers ingenue- like Proteges, there we go. Carter takes Dreyak and Protak out while Braytac... Daniel and O'Neill talk to Teal'c. So they have a man, and man, man on
1: man. No, man, man, man to man. That's it. Man, man to man. It's been a man on man encounter. That would be a whole different show. So O'Neill is concerned
0: that Frotak might betray them. He might not be trustworthy.
1: Teal'c says he will betray
0: us. He will. O'Neill says, well, you might be a little biased, dude. <laughs> Braytac sort of endorses Frotak, gives him a seal of approval because he is a ward of Braytak or a prodigy of Braytak. And the Frotak also believes that the Gauld are false gods. Tilk says, nope, I still want to kill him. And then Daniel, and it's Daniel's turn to try to to try to uh, calm Tilk down. Daniel thinks that Tilk should find some perspective. He tells Tilk that he should thank Frotak for taking care of his wife, for sleeping with his wife, for feeding his wife, for giving her a home. Do you think Daniel's situation with his wife is a reason why he's being so philosophical about this whole thing?
1: What, well, like, like, well, I mean, Daniel's situation with his wife, but is different. I mean, I think Daniel's just—he's a few things. He's he he always wants to see the the positive side of people's behavior, right? And so, let's hey, let's put a positive spin on this. Your wife and son are taken care of. Be happy about that. Don't worry about the other stuff. And he also tends to be a little oblivious to the emotional struggles of other people
0: definitely oblivious i don't daniel doesn't seem to put a positive spin though on his own troubles
1: daniel's like so steeped in and i think i'm seeing this more this rewatch than i ever have before he's so steeped in self-loathing and um depression at like you know it doesn't really come out like he wants to die all the time I think he's deeply like feels deeply alone and abandoned that his wife is gone. His parents are gone. And I don't think it, it, you know, I think it sort of comes out in little ways, but the depth of his like despair, I don't think the team really realizes. And I think it makes some of the things that happen later make more sense.
2: If we put Daniel in the same situation. So Tilk says, Oh, Daniel, you need to thank Apophis. Apophis for making Sheree queen of the symbiotes. Daniel would be freak out too.
1: He wouldn't punch people though. I mean, he'd kill Apophis if he could. He has no upper body strength. <laughs> <laughs> he gets some later, I promise. He okay. starts working out. Yeah. yeah, he definitely gets muscles later. All right.
0: So Braytac asks Teal'c if he were dead, would he want Dreak to go on without remarrying? Tilk says, of course, but I'm not dead. Tilk promises Braytak he will not participate in Kelmar Tokim. Yeah. <laughs> which translates to revenge of a cuckold.
1: Pair
2: <laughs> of horns. Yeah. Which is a cuckold.
1: What, yuck. I don't like the term cuckold. It's like the mis- emasculating, like it feels very like dominion over women power. Like you're. You're emasculated because someone took your woman. I don't like it. It's too. It like reminds. It feels too much like women are treated as property. And it's like more of a personal affront when someone when your wife is cheating on you, as opposed to like a betrayal of trust between you and her. It's more of a a property thing, and it's kind of gross.
0: Dreyak, Carter, and Protech return. Teal tells Dreak. He will find Ryak, but after that, he never wants to see her again. And he goes off in a huff. Yeah, fuck you, Tilk. Yeah, but Dreak confronts him. Good for her. She tells him not to judge her. And don't dishonor Frotak in his home. Uh, Tilk tells him to be quiet, woman. <laughs> which I did not like. No woman <laughs> should like that. She says he abandoned them. He says he did it for the future of his people. And she throws it back at him and says, well, I'm doing this for the future of our son. So go dryac, sassy. That's what yeah, sassy. Okay, I don't. I don't know if sassy would be the right word. Maybe
2: just forceful. That's not a good word either. But this look of disdain
1: mm-hmm. when they first
2: started talking, and it just it looked very sassy. It was very like I am in control of of my future. I've taken control of my future, and I'm going to tell you how it is. And I, I don't see that from the first Dreyak. I didn't see that. So I thought she says.
0: Yeah, she has some like authority about her. She has a presence, which the other Dreyak didn't really seem to have at that point. And this yeah. is when Tilk asks why Frotak, which is why, which made me think that there's something between them, independent of his wife. Dreyak has no love for Frotak, but Frotak, and this is kind of sad, but Frotak was the only one who asked her. And her son deserves better. It's just a sad moment.
1: You know, it's interesting because I'm trying to think, even though there are different actresses who sort of approach the character differently, but like the first time we see Dreyak, she's so mad at Teal'c and there's so much of that comes out. But by the end of that episode, they sort of had some resolution where I I think she let go of some of the anger. So now she's not mad at him, but she's like, listen, I got to do what I got to do. And, you know, it's like, it's easy to sort of look at Teal'c's reaction as sort of like a, um, I guess, a chauvinist way, but- you know, I think his feelings are hurt. He doesn't know how to express that his feelings are hurt. And she's sort of like, listen, what do you expect me to do? Do you want is 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 your pride worth our son living in poverty? Right. Really is what she's saying to him. And I think he gets it by the end of that conversation.
0: Yeah, it's all about the kid. Like, if you think about if there was no kid in the picture and she just needed she needed to satisfy her itch, we would be having a different conversation right now. But, but it's all about the
2: kid. She's doing this for a riot. But, you know, something's up. Because when Tilk says, Do you have love for him? And she pauses and says, No, the like the beautiful love music swells in the background. And for the rest of their conversation, which is only a couple sen- uh, sentences more, it's like, We are in love. <laughs> we still have love for each other. <laughs> that's how that's how I heard the music. So you know. You know something's up. You know that it's going to work out.
0: <laughs> work out? I don't know. I don't know if it actually worked out.
1: Well, we take care of uh, somebody. And yeah. I mean, Frotek gets the axe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which we can talk about that later. We're yeah. Kind of
0: bad for that guy. The next scene we are at a very long table. Everyone is clustered around some blueprints. They're blueprints of the palace where Apophis is keeping Ryak. Frotak works in the West Wing of the palace, and he's seen Ryak there. So, wouldn't Frotak know that Ryak has been brainwashed and shouldn't even mention it? Like, he, if he's seen Ryak at the palace, then he probably has
1: seen Ryak's behavior. Was this brainwashing someone that something that they all recognized? My impression was that none of them had seen that before. Well, Tilk said that his mind and heart have been lost. And I, wouldn't
0: Frotak have mentioned, oh, he seems pretty buddy-buddy with Apophis, though?
2: But Freyak says that... Frotak? Frotak. Frotak? says that he works in the other side of the palace and uh, Rayak is being held behind a locked door that's guarded at the other end. So the likelihood of him hearing Rayak say, I love Apophis, he's the best dude ever is probably nil so i don't i don't know if we should put
1: that on him okay yeah they might not have there's i don't know that there's any way to realize it until they try to take him back because even if he's being sort of buddy buddy it could just be his you know survival instinct right to not piss apophis off
0: do you think Frotech was part of apophis's plan like do you think apophis suspects Frotech?
1: i don't think so i think Frotech was kind of irrelevant
0: yeah yeah I mean, Quark- so well. <laughs> yeah
1: i mean i know i th- i don't i think he only betrayed them in as as a out of anger i don't think he, that was his plan all along and i think probably puff is probably was sort of intentionally keeping him distant well or, or like i mean i guess he would he's part of the plan to lure them there no i don't think he was all that relevant to the plan
0: they decide to go in at night and uh, the next scene we see them sneaking around the palace in their white robes again in you know, a shockingly
1: unguarded palace
0: yeah if you're gonna know it security measures. i know but if you're gonna sneak around at night you shouldn't go in white robes like think of our <laughs> clients snuck around in white robes
1: yeah wouldn't work yeah black is a better way to go at night
0: yeah and do not put on your red shoes either <laughs>
1: <laughs> those red cool shoes always right are identifiable in surveillance video every single time <laughs>
2: And make sure that if there is a camera, that you have a mask on and that you don't look straight into it and show off all your tattoos.
1: Yes. And best to wear nondescript clothing with no logos on it. Mm -hmm. My favorite client, just as an aside, uh, had a tie dye splashed sweatshirt of which I have never seen anything like it the most one-of-a-kind distinctive item of clothing one could possibly wear to commit a crime that is then captured on surveillance video. And also everyone's like, yeah, the guy with the multicolored jacket, (laughs) he's the one that did it. (laughs) So there's like totally tons of witnesses as well.
0: Braytek says something to some guards and Braytek walks away. The guards follow him and O'Neill, Carter, Daniel, and Till come out and zap them. Carter blows up the door and Ryatt comes running out. Tilk grabs him, and Ryak calls for the guards. And Ryak also calls Tilk the Shova. More guards appear, and then Ryak runs off, and SG-1 has to retreat. Not a good rescue operation, since they didn't rescue the kid. So back at Protax, Protak is making a nice, cozy fire. Dreyak is pacing when SG-1 shows up without the kid. Tilk says Ryak's mind and heart have been destroyed. O'Neill says he was just brainwashed and Tilk blames himself.
1: Yeah, I really like that line where he says, you can't possibly feel more contempt for me than I feel for myself. You know, he's really going through some shit. And you see, like, he went from this place of anger and how dare you fuck my wife to really blaming himself for the situation that his son is in.
0: And I think Dryak starts to go to him to comfort him. But suddenly the lamppost starts to fog up. Like, what is this thing? I know it's that, that spear thing, the communication device, but it looks like a lamppost in their house. Apparently, Apophis is about to address the people of Chulak. Apophis shows his most loyal subject, which, of course, is Ryak. Ryak says his father is evil, and then Apophis puts a bounty on Tilk's head along with SG-1. Ryak mentions the evil ones have his mother and she is Dryak of the Morning Chonka Groves. But she's actually Dryak of the Cordai Plains. So Tilk thinks that Ryak is sending him a secret message. So is this their last name? Like the equivalent of their last name?
2: Isn't it kind of like um, Mother of Dragons? First of his name type thing? like Like a last name there's probably like what a a million dry acts and
0: not a million but hundreds of dry acts on this world so they have to to differentiate by
1: location seems like a pretty small world (laughs) there seems to be a whole lot going on on Chulag, but yeah i mean i think it's probably like any small like pre-industrial civilization where you didn't really need last names so much as like oh yeah this is her like in hebrew You're mainly identified by your name, child, like son of this or daughter of this person, Um, similar in Arabic. So, and that's like what, where a lot of like European last names came from is like son of this or of this, you know? So I think that's sort of, you know, before you, we get to a population of like millions of people where you need last names to fill out on forms and stuff. It's just like, oh yeah, that's like, you know, Rose, she's Chuck's daughter. Um, And that's how people identified you. Mm
0: -hmm. Do we ever find out what Tilk's
1: last name is like Teal'c of morning glass. I don't know <laughs> I don't think so and I'm sure he makes up a last name for like once he starts living on earth you know more independently but yeah I don't think we ever find out
0: so Teal'c thinks that Ryak is sending him a secret message and that he wants them all to meet up at the Chanka Groves. Braytak says no your kid is not that smart <laughs> O'Neill agreed. Yeah. <laughs> I
1: like that. Yes. I mean, what the, this kid is? Yeah, he's like what nine? Yeah, nine he, or something. He's yeah. He, he a,
0: has, yeah. has not struck me as a genius just yet. Uh, and then, but then O'Neill has a good point. Like, why would he be sending a secret message now when he just ran away from them the night before? And Tilk's explanation is that. Rayak has been fighting the brainwashing and suddenly, just in the last minute, he fought it and was able to give them that secret message. There's a knock at the door. Brotak answers it and he, he does that thing that immediately tells visitors that you don't want them into your house or to see into your house because he steps out of the house and then closes the door behind him. He tells the guards that they shouldn't be here. They should be out looking for his wife. The guards say blah, 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 blah.
1: And, <laughs> and Eventually the guards enter the house. So uh, why do they have like a secret room in their house? Why? why? Because that's obviously was built there a while ago.
0: It, it's not so <laughs> secret looking because you can
1: see the outline of this door in, in the wall too. It, fool, it fools the Jaffa, who again are not very smart. Yeah. <laughs> but It's definitely meant to be a hidden room, I think.
2: But remember we talked about how he is a protege of Braytac. So we already know that he's part of the traders. So it makes sense that you might have a hidden room. If you were a good Jaffa, no, you would not have a hidden room, but if you were a little shifty, then yeah.
0: The guards eventually leave. Tilk and Frotak have a nice moment where Tilk says, uh, thank you to Frotak. So, Tilk sort of, I guess, forgives Frotak in this moment, but he still doesn't really forgive Dryak.
1: Well, but Dryak's his wife. Like, and, you know, it's like, I was like when when somebody cheats on you, it's not the person they're cheating with's response. You, like that, Frotak doesn't have any obligation to Tilk. Maybe if they're friends, he does. But it's not, he doesn't have any obligation. She's the one that had the obligation to him because she's his wife. So I can see that his coming around to forgiving her being more complicated because he is emotional connection to her is much stronger
0: later that night tilk can't sleep neither can draak she joins them outside tilk glares at her they share some meaningful looks and they kiss quite passionately wait did they have a conversation i can't remember this was like in the house right i think because protex so like, sees them from on top of the steps i thought it
1: was like on the porch or something i think they were outside like in in the very, very dumb to be making out with your friend's wife in his house. Very dumb. Yeah. i you're of gonna course- do that, go find a nice dark corner somewhere.
0: Yeah. And of course Protak sees them kissing. So do you think this was yeah. enough to send Brotac to the palace to, to tell on them? No.
1: I mean the storyline's interesting in terms of the sun, but it, the the romantic entanglement seems so one dimensional and and like it, the the way everyone reacts is so simplified to how normal human beings react it, it felt a little ridiculous yeah the plot required Frotak to do this so he did because i mean it's not like
2: he's just giving up tilk he's giving up the entire family who he supposedly has married to give a better life this includes Rayda- rayak so it's like yeah it's extremely one dimensional it doesn't make much sense it includes Braytac too. I mean,
0: Braytac's kind of in the mix as well.
1: Yeah, it's like the it's like the jealous. You know what's that like manslaughter? The the it used to be like a defense. The classic defense of murder is in the heat of passion because you find your wife fucking someone else, and that was like excusable murder, not excusable. You still get convicted of manslaughter, but it's sort of like a very typical type of thing. And it felt like that, but it's so caricaturous Like, do people really do that? Who don't have massive, you know, personality disorders? Also. I mean, Frotek had to have realized that there were still some hidden feelings
0: between husband and wife, Tilk and, and Dryak. He can't be surprised that they're kissing.
1: He, he struck me as very insecure about his whole relationship. Like, it seems to, he was very much in love with her, although not so much in love that he won't decide to get her killed at the end because he was spurned. But, like, he sees Tilk as a big threat. So I think he was constantly looking for this to happen. And it, And then when he saw it, it, like, proved him right.
0: O'Neill sees Frotak, seeing them kissing, and O'Neill knows what's going to happen. He follows Frotak to the palace. He zaps the guard in front of Frotak. Frotak brandishes a knife. So it's knife versus that gun, which, of course, is not going to end well. Uh, O'Neill zaps Frotak. Frotak still calls out, Joppa! And O'Neill has to eventually kill Frotak with the second zap blast. And then he does the third blast, which... Disintegrates him. Disintegrates. Thank you. That's the word. Yeah, and I guess the episode needed to get rid of Frotak because we couldn't have Frotech alive and have Tilk and Dreyak go off into the sunset together.
1: You know, yeah, Frotech's whole character seems very much like a plot device, right? Like he he doesn't really get to be a character. He's just like, you know, he needs we need to explain, we need to have this tension between Drake and Tilk. So we have Frotek here. We need someone to betray them, so he's gonna do that. And then we'll just get rid of him once he's outlived his usefulness. Feels like
2: a How do you Trekkies say, a red shirt?
1: Red shirts are more anonymous. Like he's a named character. So I wouldn't call him a red shirt, but he's, he's definitely expendable. Purple shirt.
0: (laughs) O'Neill returns to the house in a Jaffa costume. They sealed the palace. So he had to escape somehow. O'Neill looks a little guilty when he tells everyone what happened. Dreyak blames herself she made vows that she could not keep and Tilk goes to comfort her.
1: Well, so, first of all, remember when they were like, so they find the dead Jaffa and they're like, no one comes and goes. And yet O'Neill just like fucking walks out of there. So again, very poor security measures for supposedly very highly trained warriors. And he, O'Neill doesn't seem to feel all that bad that he just like killed this guy. He does look a little guilty though. There is a bit <laughs> of a guilt on his face. Slight twinge for murder. And it wasn't self-defense. I mean- he killed them to prevent him from from ratting them out.
0: Well, it wasn't strictly self-defense, but he was trying to defend everyone from Apophis, you know, coming and getting them.
1: Self-defense requires imminent bodily harm, threat of imminent bodily harm. Well, when you're dealing with
0: a pseudo-god, I would think any action from this <laughs> pseudo-god would be imminent. Perhaps. So they're still going to meet... They're still going to show up at the Chanka Grove to see if Ryak is going to be there. Uh, The next morning, they meet in a... It's kind of a beautiful setting. There's grass and trees and fog. It's very nice. Ryak is there, surrounded by a contingent of Jaffa. Well, not contingent, like five (sighs) Jaffa. SG-1 fires at the guards, and they go down, leaving only Ryak. Ryak is very excited about seeing Tilk. The rest of SG-1, except Tilk, Thinks this is still a trap. They look at the Stargate, and again, there's only three, I think, this time, three Jaffa
2: at the entrance. There are two. I think it's O'Neill or somebody says, There's only two Jaffa, Jaffa guarding the gate. And then he says again, From the hill, (laughs) he thinks it's a trap. Daniel,
0: O'Neill, and Carter all fired at something. So that's why I thought that there was three. So maybe they two of them just fired at the same guy. <laughs> he just kind no,
1: of got. They, them. they were two guarding the gate, but then I think a bunch of uh, maybe three, escorting Ryak, and so I think they take out all the ones escorting Ryak. So and O'Neill says we don't have any room for error, so one shot, one kill. So I think it was th- maybe four because Bray- Tech was also there, and then they take out those, and then there's two actually guarding the gate.
2: Yeah, there were like four or five guarding
1: Ryak. Far fewer than one would expect to be guarding okay. a high-value prisoner and the only means of escape on a planet. So before they do go through the Stargate, O'Neill
0: sends Carter, or he asks Carter to go look for some snakes in Ryak. She, I guess, Pat searches him <laughs> and says he's clean. O'Neill thinks that Ryak might be another Cassandra, which is a valid concern. So Cassandra, at one point Cassandra's bomb started to go off when she went Close to the Stargate.
1: The Stargate so on stargate. the Earth Stargate. She did go through the Hanka Stargate.
0: So what's the difference? Because aren't Stargates made from the same Makuta?
1: Yeah, it was just I guess it wasn't ready yet by the time she went through. Because the, they rescued her first.
0: It seems like Ryak being close to a Stargate might be somewhat problematic, based on what they know of Cassandra. They used Carter
2: with
1: her Gauled special residual powers to search Ryak. But she would sense that he has a symbiote though. So wouldn't she sense the symbiote? Like, I don't think there's any concern that he was implanted with the gold because he's a Jaffa. They can't be implanted with the gold.
0: So, so why did he send Carter to go feel I him up? I, I
1: think, I think having a woman pat search a child feels less abusive than having a grown man do it. I don't know. Okay. So she, he wasn't using her super gowl searching skills. <laughs> he was just yeah. using her femininity. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it feels like, you know, like, I think the image of having a grown man sort of feel up a child feels a little more problematic for viewers than having like a woman do it. It feels less child molestery. <laughs> That's, so I think it's more the optics of it that really was the driving factor. Anil talks to Ryak
0: and he asks him, hey, what's up? Why didn't you go with us? And Ryak says he had not yet fought off Apophis's control the first time. Teal'c still maintains his son has some kind of supermind that withstands Apophis. And there, there really isn't much they can do right now. I mean, they're not going to leave Ryak. Couldn't they have, like, not taken him to Earth, but maybe taken him to an Alpha or a Beta site and then had Frazier meet them there and quarantine him? I mean, they could have done
1: that. Uh, yeah. I think they could. I mean, well, I, I think they... Didn't they throw that out? and But they were like, oh, we don't have right address or something i mean i think i think taking them straight to earth was a huge mistake for a number of reasons also you don't know who's going to follow you through the gate right yeah so like why you wouldn't go to a a safe third planet get everything cleared there i don't know doesn't make sense so they decide to go to the stargate sg1
0: clears the way to the gate some small number of jaffa are shot daniel dials home and they go through but oh but braytac stays behind
1: probably to dispose of the bodies. That's Braytek's job. He's getting rid of the dead Jaffa that they leave a trail of everywhere they go. He's the cleaner. Yeah, and I would think
0: at this point, Apophis is, probably knows that something is up with Braytak, right?
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, how Braytek is just operating on these planets, I don't know. Okay, next scene, we are in SGC. Ryak looks around with wonder. Tealuk
0: and Dryak are kissy-kissy again. In the infirmary, Frazil's Frasial... Frazier says he looks normal. Ryak looks normal. And she doesn't think a bomb would fit in the belly of a Jaffa child. I guess that makes sense. But Dreyak is talking with Ryak and notices he has all of his teeth, which is somewhat problematic because Ryak lost two of his teeth while sparring with
1: Braytek. First of all, why is, I mean, losing, why is Braytek sparring with this kid to such a a level that like he loses two teeth. (laughs) I mean, he's a child, right? That's a pretty extreme sparring session for like a (laughs) nine-year-old. I didn't even think about that. You're right. I mean, I'd be pretty pissed if I send my kid to like little league practice and came back missing two teeth. But they weren't
2: in the front. Later on, we see that one is kind of on the side. I didn't see the other one that was missing, but it looked like they were not right in the front. So I think Braytac smacked him really hard in the cheek.
1: Yeah, that's not better.
0: <laughs> O'Neill asks Ryak what kind of foods he likes. Ryak wants to see the outside world. Tilk and Fraser consult. Fraser wants a blood sample from Ryak and Ryak goes nuts and starts calling uh, Tilk names. Fraser finally injects him with something that puts him out.
2: Ketamine, what do you think it was? Dope, straight dope. I don't. Know. What did they shoot Carter with when she went all gowled? Yeah, something to fell
0: an elephant was what I remember from that episode.
1: I believe they gave the kid less than that.
0: Ryak wakes up in bed in the brig. Dryak is there and she's trying to comfort him. Ryak says he hates her and he starts trying to bite down on his teeth. So if the poison or the biological substances were in his molars, I would think it would be very hard for him to bite down hard enough
1: to crack the tooth. Yeah. And how can it possibly be enough material in those two things to take on an entire fucking planet? It just I know there are some very potent poisons, but there's just no way, especially if it's if it's airborne, it's not like you're injecting it. So you're it's like gonna be diluted in the atmosphere. It's just none of that seems remotely possible. Maybe Apophis has got some help. Like, um
0: T concocted this stuff and gave it to him?
1: Even so. Like, how can it possibly take out a planet of 9 million people?
0: It's got to be, what, like, this small? Yeah. Size of a bug? Not a very well-hatched plan. We learned later on in a briefing that the teeth were hollow, but they were filled with two substances that, when combined, could cause, I guess, a plague
2: is, is the idea. Some kind of virus that would kill everybody on the Earth in a week.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, kill every thing. So if... Okay, so let's say there's this magical poison that's that potent that could be put in such small containers as teeth. It seems like you'd be extra cautious from this point forward about anything that comes through the gate, right? Anything, right? Maybe, I mean, like, even friendly people, who's to say that Apophis doesn't, or some gould, doesn't drop a tiny little canister of this poison in someone's pocket without them noticing, and they bring it on Earth unwittingly. And it accidentally gets released. Like if you can kill all human beings with just, you know, a thimbleful of poison, that gate should be on fucking lockdown. And every item searched immediately. And I just, they don't seem to really do that after this point.
2: Well, that would end the show.
1: Because <laughs> they start taking yeah. security measures.
2: Exactly. Procedures that would save the team and humanity are not really on the agenda for this show.
0: I think they just need to come up with that alpha beta, or not alpha, the beta site. Just send everyone there first. You get screened at the beta site and then you finally get permission to come to Earth.
1: Yeah, I mean, if this was realistic, that would absolutely be that, like you can't just have people, I mean, also for like biohazard reasons, you can't just have people coming to and from Earth. You'd have to have a third place where everything gets screened. And I mean, really you would have the, what I think would you would have is have the SG team's base there and that's where they come and go from. And then they only have limited trips back to earth after like quarantine and everything.
0: Would that be a better show
1: though? I don't know. No, but it would be more realistic. Then you can show them like living in the barracks on the beta site or whatever.
0: Okay, so the plague has been neutralized, but now the problem is Ryak. How do we get his mind back? Someone, it's either Carter or... Or O'Neill responds with deprogramming. It's Carter. It's Carter, yeah. O'Neill doesn't think kids can go through that, or it's going to be difficult for a kid to go through deprogramming. But later outside the brig, we hear Ryak screaming about how he hates everyone and he wants to go back to Apophis. Tilk is in, in there with him. Tilk tries to reason with him. Ryak says that Tilk lied because he said he would come back to them and he never came back. So it seems that Ryak. Even though he's brainwashed, he still has some residual, like, valid feelings about how his ba- how his dad abandoned them. So maybe Ryak's mind was a bit susceptible to Apophis' brainwashing because of his complicated feelings
1: about his father. Yeah, isn't that always the case? The co- the cult leaders sort of prey on people who are already kind of disillusioned and lost and...
2: Vulnerable. Yeah. Aren't we all kind <laughs> <It's> of vulnerable? <laughs> I always thought I could possibly end up in a cult. We could start one. We could. I think we did. I think we we have one. This is it.
1: Yeah. But we'll be the nice cult. We don't steal people's money. Exactly. It's evidenced by the fact that we are not making any money. Yep.
2: (laughs) We just need enough money to uh, buy some drums for a drum circle.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And also enough money to quit our, our day jobs. Yeah. That would be nice.
0: Ryak also mentions that he would not have died uh, when they released the plague. He doesn't really explain how that would have happened. It seems like Ryak would probably have died if the, that plague had been released. Let's see, Teal describes a memory from his childhood when Dryak would make some kind of cake by the fire. Uh, Ryak seems to be softening, but then he spits in Teal's face and Teal leaves. Teal looks so crestfallen at this point. This is a rough
1: episode for him.
0: Yeah, it's got to be pretty bad when your kid spits in your face. Fortunately, it's
1: never happened to me. No, not. Well, hmm. (laughs) not out of anger. My kids do seem to like to spit, though.
0: And this is when SG-1 starts talking about ECT as a way of breaking the brainwashing. So who wants to go first about this (laughs) ECT
1: on children? Yeah, let's talk about the ethics of child torture so i I do know that it is it used to be seen as a treatment for mental disorders, and it was like horrible. and but I know that there has been a revival of its use for certain kinds of like depression and things like that. but i I think it I, the person's anesthetized, right? But I don't think you just shock them
2: well, yeah, it's done under under anesthesia. But that doesn't change what's actually happening to the body that only comforts the nurse and the doctor from this person having a a convulsion, right? And so also they don't hurt themselves. So it's kind of like with the death penalty, they give the inmate a sedative so that the nurses and doctors and guards and the witnesses don't have to see the horrible thing that is happening to this person. So... This is the same thing. Those thoughts that you have of ECT in like the 30s and 40s for hysterical women and depressed women, this is just we're going to give you some gas so we don't have to see you convulsing, or you don't have to hurt yourself while you are convulsing.
1: If somebody's going undergoing ECT, do they feel the, the electric the, the pain of it, or is it are they anesthetized? I think they're anesthetized,
2: but it's still. I mean, it's It's still electric shocks going Mm. through your body, you know? It's absolute child abuse. And I thought it was weird that O'Neill was the one who suggested it.
1: So that was their thought was ECT. And I don't know if it has any bearing on like brainwashing. Like my understanding is used for like severe depression and those kinds of things. Brainwashing. I don't know if you could just electroshock somebody to not think what they think is one thing, but then they don't end up doing that. Instead, they do the ZAT, which essentially is the same thing without anesthesia
2: well the thing about ect and this is all off the top of my head i could be lying i don't know but from what i remember ect makes you forget like almost like a concussion because it wipes out your short term memory so i i'm thinking maybe that was the idea is to fix the brainwashing by having Ray, Rayak not remember what Apophis told him.
1: Maybe this is what the Mayo Clinic says about ECT. It's a procedure done under general anesthesia in which small electric currents are passed through the brain, intentionally triggering a, triggering a brief seizure. ECT seems to cause changes in brain chemistry that can quickly reverse symptoms of certain mental health conditions. So it's it used. So it's much lower amounts of electricity than it used to be, and it used to not be done on, under anesthesia. Now it is. So it doesn't sound. As barbaric the way it's done now. Um, But I don't think there's any indication that it would be done on a child.
2: Yeah. What does the Mayo Clinic say about putting, (laughs) putting, doing ECD on
1: eight year olds? (laughs) Yeah, I don't think so. So it's used to treat severe depression, treatment resistant depression, severe mania, catatonia, agitation and aggression, and people with dementia.
0: But if, uh, if a Zat gun has the same result, then shouldn't there be a lot of people like Jaffa walking around with memory loss? And we don't really encounter that.
1: So the memory loss only occurs for regarding events that occurred right before treatment or the weeks or months before treatment. It doesn't generally cause like a memory loss of long periods of time.
0: They just won't remember how they got there.
1: The yeah, back. which is kind of what happened to RIAC. But that that's not usually a sad effect of the ZAC guy. No, it's not. It's was like a combination of is that got on a kid slash brainwashing. I mean, they're they're treating this brainwashing like a physical condition as opposed to a psychiatric condition. And like, so I'm wondering, is it like when we say someone's brainwashed, it's not that they were like given a like virus that goes in their brain and changes how they think, right? They they were given messages that they've internalized. And so that doesn't seem like a physiological treatment for that would work.
0: But I guess the show needed an easy fix. So the Zach gun was the best thing.
1: <laughs> let's to torture do. some kids. <laughs> yes, <laughs> really, just really horrible visual
0: here. It was, I know. It was awful. And then, and then the equivalency. Like, how do they know that a Zach gun discharge is the same as ECT? They're just guessing. I guess Frazier says maybe.
1: Well, because because she's like, I can't promise the ECT won't kill him, and Teal's like, Well, the Zach gun definitely won't kill him. So, they're yeah. like, all right, let's do that. Would Uh they actually try ECT later on if the Zat gun hadn't
0: worked? Maybe. Maybe. Okay, so Tilk decides to try it on Ryak. He is the one who will pull the trigger. And it works. (laughs) (laughs) He was surprised. (laughs) After the kid is like writhing in pain. Oh, I know. It's not a good visual. Although the, the actor, the boy actor did it quite well. And there doesn't
1: seem to be much concern that he might be faking it either i know i thought that too i'm like maybe just give it a few minutes let's (laughs) (laughs) let's see how this goes but i guess he's not faking it
0: ryak you know cozies up to his father and his mother and everything seems hunky-dory again because the next scene they are going to the land of the light Mm -hmm. (laughs) to see tupelo and the belly shirt people o'neill gives ryak a baseball glove and ryak puts it on his face which is really cute (laughs) So Teal'c, Dryak, and Ryak then go off into the Stargate. But Teal'c will return soon. And that is the end of the episode. So for every episode, we come up with a rating. So,
1: Rose, what is your rating? I think I'm going to give it a three. I don't know. I just, I find a lot of the writing is very flat. Teal, or Chris Judge does a really great job with this episode in that I, I he really does convey the pain that he's feeling both in having seeing his son go through this and losing his wife and you know sort of the breakdown of his family and how much and him blaming himself for it. So he does a great job with material that I think is very very one dimensional. But it, it, it feels like just a lot of really overused tropes here. Like you have the jealous husband who's going into this jealous rage about his wife doing what she had to do to survive. And then the other guy who loves her and then betrays them because he's betrayed. And it's just very cliche all around. Yeah. So it doesn't, I just don't love it. And then yeah, the, the, the child shock therapy aspect of it, just very hard to watch. I give it a three.
2: The, the tropes were ridiculous. And then also it was like, we're going to spend all of our time, with the relationship between father and son, but we have to fix the son in the last 10 minutes, right? So what what can we, like in the writer's room, I can see them just stand, sitting around saying, what do you think we could do to his brain? And somebody's like, ECT. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna give it a four.
0: <laughs> I don't know why. Hmm. <laughs> Maybe that means I should give it a three. The, the visual of the child convulsing didn't bother me as much as you guys maybe I'm used to kids crying out in pain I don't know (laughs) but I did feel that the ending was rushed and ECT just seemed to be something that a writer like you said Malika screamed out in the in the writer's room I do like the new version of Dryak right Dryak yeah I I like the new actor yeah I like the actress who played her. She has more uh, more fire to her, but also she comes with some gravitas as well. So maybe I will give it a 3.5. So if this episode were
2: made today, how would they change it? I hope that they wouldn't commit child abuse. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I also hope that, I mean, if he's brainwashed and I think Carter said use the word deprogramming right so when you are in a cult and you are you, there's deprogrammers and it's all about talking it's just talking it through it's almost like therapy right to change those ideas that have been implanted in you that you believe about your leader and and uh the cult that you're in i mean it's not quick but I would hope that the writers would be like let's just put him in therapy with the belly shirt people or whatever and talk this out.
1: Yeah, I think I agree. I think and I also I think that maybe if this was made today also because of the tendency to serialize everything, you'd have this episode of this would be at least a two episode arc where you have Teal rescuing his son, dealing with the breakup of his family, and then the deprogramming sort of happens in its own episode and it's not so easy, right? And there's more of a wrestling with bringing him back.
0: I, I do think the whole, that lame love triangle they had between that guy whose name I've already forgotten ProTac? <laughs> ProTac. ProTac. I was thinking Toad, Frog, ProTac. <laughs> <laughs> Protak, Tilk and Dreyak. I think that would still be in the episode because love triangles are will
1: always be popular. Definitely. So. There'd be more sex though, not just making out. Um, and I would hope there's a little bit more nuance to everyone's feelings and reactions, right? It's just so, like Dreyak of the three of them is the only one whose approach to it I kind of respect and feels a little bit, not just like a, I don't know, sort of a canned trope, right? Like the other, the guys are just acting like these jealous fools,
0: caricatures
1: yeah yeah very much like caricatures so that was kind of annoying i'd hope that would be different
0: thank you so much for joining us our next episode is secrets episode number nine of season two hope you'll join us thanks so much bye, bye.
2: bye. we are love we still have love for each other like, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. If you don't like us, still like and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at Probing the Wormhole, on Twitter at Probing Wormhole, Facebook at Probing the Wormhole. You can also contact us on our website at probingthewormhole.com.